The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. This is Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell. Toronto's News, today's talk, 640 Toronto. Welcome, my friends, to the weekend. It's time to get serious. It is September. Uh, but with this weather, does it not feel like it's still summer? Uh, Richard Davis, a uh, dear friend of ours, a uh, former uh, analyst with Canaccord. I'm going to say the best analyst Canaccord has ever had. Uh, he now works for a really cool software company called Unity Software. That's used in making movies and uh, also video games. Uh, your product called, uh, and just to jump right into it, Richard, uh, President Investor and Strategy of Unity Technologies. Um, uh, the, the word engine, I'm going through a, a Morgan Stanley piece here, and they keep speaking about your engine. Um, please share with the crowd, what, what exactly is that with your software company, the engine? Yeah, so think of it this way. If, if- if we were uh, Microsoft, their engine for making a spreadsheet would be Excel. Mm. So an engine is the tools that you use to build the application that you want. So what, so once you've built an application, which could be a game, could be a digital twin of a city, you know, uh, a configurator for uh, buying a new car, et cetera, that gets compiled, which means run and it's called a runtime and what a runtime does is that allows the, the the challenging thing or the interesting thing that we do is you build it again a, a build up product in our tools and it works seamlessly on any one of 24 different major platforms with just a flick of a switch so it's build once deploy anywhere and that's the secret sauce that we do so that and it can include artwork it can include building a game, building an object, those kind of things. But that's what an engine is. And the thing called runtime is the actual program you've built. So the program to use the Excel analogy would be the spreadsheet uh, that you, you know, built to forecast your sales or something like that. Um, Some notable um, companies uh, either in film or in uh, gaming that are currently using your uh, engine to help them uh, create visual stimulation. Sure. So, um, well, on the on the movie side, the biggest, really primary and, and single customer we have that's the biggest on which is called special effects is uh, Peter Jackson's uh, group called uh, Weta Digital, and they're the guys that did Avatar two, Deadpool, Lord of the Rings, um, a bunch of other movies and things like that. And then on the on the game side, we're in seventy, it's like seventy one, seventy two percent of all mobile games are built with our tools. Probably 50% of all PC video games are built with our tools, um, you know, and probably 20% of the console games are built with our tools. So it's, it's every, you know, Electronic Arts, Ubisoft, you know, Activision, Microsoft, everyone that builds a game, you know, more than likely uses our tools. And then finally, on the industry side, it includes um, big architectural firms, but includes some of the, like we have Lockheed Martin kind of building digital twins to kind of model their factories and stuff for safety, but also 18 of the top 20 car companies use us for either configuration and increasingly we're using it for uh, dashboards, you know, inside these, all these cars that are becoming EVs and they want to have cool looking, it's actually called HMI, but dashboards until we do that. 
Uh, you know, it's incredible the amount of technology that we're now uh, jamming into uh, automobiles. Uh, it truly is. And I just came back from a fabulous trip in Europe, uh, a week in Germany, uh, several hours on the Autobahn. Now, I ended up renting a Volkswagen bus, sort of like the original Hippie 60 bus, but a modern version of a great big utility plumber's truck, I guess it was. So I couldn't get that bad boy past 140. But uh, then we hired a driver, Richard, for a day. And uh, he took us to uh, Garmisch uh, from Munich, down into Garmisch, and we went up the uh, peaks, uh, 400 peaks, highest point in Germany. Uh, the, the the top platform actually is inside is in Austria. So they did a little joint venture with the Austrian government to build this magnificent lift. Um, the, if, if you if you ever skied before and you take a lift up, you understand that you as you, as the chairlift climbs, you, you cross over a number of towers that suspend the cables that. Uh, uh, move the lift. Uh, well, the Zugspitze in Garmisch has one tower. Uh, it's about a third of the way up, and the rest is cable to straight top. It's unbelievable. Uh, but anyway, I digress. Ron, he rented a new uh, a BMW X7, our driver, and uh, we, we managed to get up to a 207 with ease on the Autobahn. That was an experience. But the technology in this, in this BMW X7 is insane, and as such, the price tag to go along with that vehicle is insane. Coming in about 247000 uh, um, Euro. So, uh, a company that Jack and I came across during a pop quiz to you, Jackie, if you recall the name of the company. Um, Richard, you may know this company. I, I just go back to the amount of technology and, and just the uh, micro uh, culture of, of, of tech companies that are, that are, that are walking into the automotive uh, industry and, and selling them stuff. But the, that company that makes mirrors, what's the name of that company again that we're looking at? They make the mirrors and they got all kinds of digital oh. stuff on that. Oh, it's a really good. They also. I was going to say, it's a stummy on that, but the fact is, the technology going into these cars, like you said, it's driven by the amount of chips and the amount of change that's happened in the technology in cars in the last five years is off, it's, it's it's remarkable. off the charts. It's, 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 it's becoming remarkable. an experience. I guess. Um, so so I, I, let's just play around for a second, Richard. Uh, you know, Laws of diminishing returns in terms of utility uh, out of an additional dollar spent. That's probably a conversation you don't want to have in, in these creative uh, labs because I think you're going to win it every time, it, it diminishing returns. But uh, do you not think we've taken it to the limit? Uh, or is, is there more to come inside uh, automotive? Well, it's a good question. I think if you're sitting in you know, Detroit or <laughs> Munich or Stuttgart or whatever, you're sitting there thinking to yourself, well, who are the two biggest competitors that could really hurt us? And one is Tesla yeah, because they've built a car with a lot of software. And two, yeah. candidly, is Apple. I knew you were going to say that one. I would say Apple, not because they're going to per se build a car. I have no idea. But what, if you really think about it, what is Apple doing? They're, they're trying, they have the car play. And when we talk to the car companies, they're like, we don't want to become Garmin. Because remember what happened to Garmin? You, you probably remember those those devices you stuck on your dashboard, you know. And now all your maps are on your phone, and so companies like that just get pushed aside. And what the people are afraid of Apple at the car companies are is they're like, hey, if they're running your music, the next thing they could do would be running your air conditioning and then running your speedometer and everything. And then what happens is the car companies just become simple metal benders with no value add. And, and they don't know the customer, et cetera. So that's, that's what I think it's, I don't know if it's existential, but it's at least 
getting their attention. They're like, we've got to have software. So that's the way they're differentiating. Wow. You open up a lot of doors with uh, with your statements. Uh, Garmin is a stock we actually pay attention to. And uh, if you speak to our st- strategist, uh, Tony Dwyer, uh, he continues to use Garmin instruments in, in his form of transportation, if you know what yeah. I mean. Um, uh, Apple is interesting because, again, coming out of Europe, um, I saw these funky phones, or, or not. I wasn't sure if I was digging them or not, but they're like a book. You unfold them. It, uh, mm-hmm. it, and it's a Samsung product. And uh, so I saw a lot of those throughout Europe. Waiters in restaurants were taking your order on these flip phones, but the, it, it's like a, a designed like a book. Um, then we had some people come in from uh, Singapore, and sure enough, their smartphones were these little mini tablets. They're, uh, again, a Samsung product. So I always said to Jack, over and over again um, that uh, Apple is making a mouse trap uh, and one day they will be uh, knocked out. I ask you, do you think they are at threat to the likes of Samsung with Samsung coming out with one day a better product and disrupting Apple? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, look, there's whatever, three or four versions of an Apple phone that's out there at any given time. There's 50 different versions of of Android, you know, slash Google, yep. and that include the Samsung devices and things like that. I mean, what we've seen, you know, it's maybe I think the better a better analogy might be Coke and Pepsi. I'm not sure one's going to knock the other out. It may end up being that the world ends up fifty one forty nine, and then forty nine fifty one, and it moves back and forth. But it's, I think it's unlikely you'll see someone go to eighty percent twenty. That it just doesn't doesn't feel like that's. That's a likely scenario. So I'm not sure what it is right now. Um, the so, point that I would make with Apple, whether it's cars, whether it's smartphones, whether it's uh, watches, they never come to the market first. They always come to the market with a better product. That's yeah. what they do. That, that, that's an interesting yep. point. I remember in, uh, it's amazing how wisdom can be transported, Richard. Uh, I'm a huge fan of people who just, do these odd, have an odd career path, and you just see how it all links together. And I, I'm going to put my hand up and say I'm one of those individuals because I used to be in broadcast sales, and here I am working on Bay Street. How do you make that switch? I just, I just um, did. But in in the old nightclub industry, building a restaurant or a nightclub is so capital intensive, and so often the failure rate, well, it, the failure rate is very, very high. And a fellow said to me once, "You're better off to be the second man in. Let someone else build the structure, put all the equipment in, go bankrupt. You get to buy for ten cents." on the dollar, rebrand it, and you have a higher probable chance of making a decent buck. Uh, so and there, there's logic to that uh, statement. Uh, we, we're joined by a really dear friend of ours, Richard Davis, massive, massive gray matter uh, in his uh, very handsome uh, skull. And uh, he's with a company called Unity Software, very, very cool company, uh, amazing uh, animation and, and uh, powerful tools used by both the gaming industry and the film industry. Uh, this man has his eye on technology, and uh, it's just great to spend some time with him this evening. Uh, Going to take a quick break. Get right back to Hi-Fi Radio, 640 Toronto. Don't go anywhere. There's more Hi-Fi Radio in a moment on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.
little name that tune in about 18 bars. Top Gun theme song. Uh, thanks for that, Jack. Yes, Richard Davis is joining us. Uh, Richard uh, Toronto each and every year puts on a spectacular uh, air show at uh, the CNE grounds. And uh, thanks to uh, our friendly neighbors, uh, of course, American uh, uh, power always uh, shows up and uh, amazes uh, all of us as to the birds in the sky and the technology jammed into those birds and uh yeah i saw the latest top gun i know jack was all over it and as was my other partner at work zach um enjoyed the movie uh i'm in uh, germany a couple about a month ago and uh at the bottom of garmisch uh little lake uh mountain runoff beautiful little spot and that is a highly coveted uh, camping camping area and so uh our tourists said okay let's go down to the lake you can spend an hour there we'll drink some champagne uh, and uh, yeah, sit by the beach. And I said, well, we have lots of lakes in Ontario, so much so we have 250,000 freshwater lakes in Ontario. And Garmisch around the mountains, I guess they have one. And so it was a big deal to them. So we went there nonetheless, and uh, I rented a paddle boat. And just as we were paddle boating, looking at the Alps through the sky, three amazing birds, bam, whew, whew. you know, they banked and they did their little moves. And uh, yeah, I think they were F-18s. It was like so neat. And just a reminder, yeah, when you get them to Europe, you get close to some of the conflict that is taking place in this world. Um, but the technology that, that's jammed into, uh, you know, certainly uh, aviation is just uh, absolutely mind-boggling. How is um, your company uh, doing work? You said with Lockheed Martin, uh, Richard, the, yep. the big defense company. Well, to, to what capacity? Uh, or, or can you not disclose that? Is that top secret? Well, it's, yeah, it's not as top secret as Apple. They're, they're the they're the hardest to talk about, but um, yeah, I mean, what Lockheed Martin is doing and as, as well as some other companies is they're modeling their factories oftentimes for training and, and um, training and, and safety. We did, we modeled actually Vancouver international airport to actually do exactly that. So you can model how passengers go through that airport and use it for training or even safety precautions and how people would behave and, and those kind of things. So you make what that's called a digital twin um, really? So, yeah. So we did that. So in case there's like a fire, like, oh, how would you evacuate people out of the airport? That kind of thing. So it's kind of cool. Now, is that, is, wow. that, is that using AI? I'm going to assume that there's a lot of AI involved with that then? Yeah. So what what we what you would do is simulate, it's actually, in a, if you remember what a game, they call them non-player characters or NPCs. So what you do is you create logic in each of those NPCs, which in this case would be a person in that airport and, you know... <laughs> Would they run towards the fire or away from the fire? And you can kind of simulate different things and trends and, you know, how people would behave and where the choke points would be, et cetera. If you're just joining us, it is Hi-Fi Radio each and every Saturday. Jack and I bring you the show about money. Little Magic takes place in each and every week in the studios. Uh, amazing guests that we bring on, uh, like... Presently, Mr. Richard Davis uh, is the president, investor, and strategy Unity at Unity Technologies. Um, Richard's skill set, strategic planning, leadership, mergers and acquisitions, forecasting, investor relation, planning, budgeting, cash flow forecasting, pre-IPO, uh, business development, financial markets, accounting, financial analysis. Man, uh, 
uh, you got yourself quite the resume there, Richard. A lot of talent, well, and it's just, just, well, just it's a, it's a privilege to have you on the show. Uh, just to pick your brain a little bit about uh, technology. You know, it's also fascinating. Again, Richard, I, you, you see the stuff when you travel. I can't stress the importance of travel enough. It, it is the education on steroids and just throwing some inquisitive mindset, and you, you just come away with uh, so much wealth. But um, the automotive industry. Uh, through the bulk of my working career and much of your working career, Jack, and yours as well, Richard, uh, was one of an oligopoly of three major players, the big three automotive manufacturers, and then the competition coming out of Japan. That was the game. And then you had a luxury market coming out of Europe. Okay, so now there's sort of this three-way trifecta play of automotive and then uh, you got yourself into a recession in the 90s and the uh, unions were demanding too much money from the workers they had a great job for life set up which no longer exists by the way today uh but i I fast forward to where we are today uh with technology with the whole rethink of automotive thanks to elon musk um the amount of new competitors getting into the old automotive industry is mind-boggling and you see it when you travel europe i saw umpteen new brands of chinese evs i saw i'm not sure if there are european launches of some new brand i probably saw six different ev brands uh, on the highways in ireland and in germany um who would have thought uh, you get back into some pure competition, similar to the railways, where 100 years ago there were, I don't know, 100 railway companies, 200 railway companies uh, in North America? Uh, so when we speak to this point, Richard. Yeah, I mean, I think the good news about technology is it kind of democratizes mm. things, you know, whether that's creating, you know, your own objects, you know, that, that we help do, or in the case of what you pointed out, the car business it's allowed at least some companies to try to take a run at the, at the big oligopoly. So I think you're right. It's going to be interesting to see how many of those things work. I mean, you know, Jack, you and I've been around long enough to know that even on IPOs, I don't know what 20% of them end up working out at most, you know, most of them ended up not being that great after, you know, two or three years. So, so we'll see how it plays out, but you know, look, there's always, there's always someone challenging things and it. And every once in a while you get a real, uh, a real winner out of them. Well, what's the probability of Apple? Uh, then again, you 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 touched on it earlier, but uh, yeah. the probability of Apple developing a car. What's that probability? You know, look. I mean, I think it's unclear because remember they also toyed at one point with building their own te- televisions, right? And they, they, I think they figured out that was a hard business. I mean, you know, who knows if this is their play? But it feels to you know, a little bit, at least to me, that remember what they're trying to do. They're trying to do all this privacy stuff to make sure that you say, oh, well, everything on the iPhone is, you know, private. The big play, I think, for them is into healthcare. So if you have your, you know, if you have an Apple Watch, it tracks your heart rate, but it can track all sorts of other stuff. So to the extent that they could become a healthcare information provider, that's a big market. And yeah, no doubt. Well, let me flip it around then, because because Elon. Sorry, Richard. This, if I may, I just want to move this thing yeah. forward. I got, I got a bunch of stuff I want to try to get out of your brain. Um, Elon Musk. Uh, yeah. A pleasure to have him in society, and uh, it's amazing. The more you like, the more you'll find yourselves enemies at the same time. It's funny because there's two camps. Some people really don't like the guy, and uh, a lot of people really like the guy. I'm one of those really likes the guy, uh, but he's, he's coming out with a robot apparently, uh, which is 
fun, which is interesting. I could see that. Uh, aging population. Japanese have been working on robots forever. Uh, Fanuk is a company that we pay attention to. That's a robotics company. ABBs and robotics. So I like robotics. ISRIG, uh, Intuitive Surgical, uh, Robotic Surgery. Uh, so robots are cool, uh, but not as exciting, certainly, as cars. And no one would have thought that the telephone would become a really exciting industry. Uh, you know, the old thing that used to hang on the wall. Remember that? The long cord? You could run to the front, front, front run out your driveway. <laughs> that long stringy cord. It was beautiful. Um, who would have thought that the phone would become such a revolutionary device? So let's now talk. What about Tesla launching a phone? That's been uh, discussed. Probability I mean, of that. that makes, yeah. I mean, that would make sense to just tie into their car and just be part of the ecosystem. So that's not certainly not out of the realm of possibility. Um, you know, I think, I think they for sure want to get into the kind of truck and SUV area as well. So we'll see how, I think that's a big focus for them as well. Yeah. That's uh, what's the concept truck that's coming out, Jack from Tesla. I don't know the name. Uh, it's a massive cyber, truck. The size of cyber truck. Yeah, there you go, Richard. Yeah. 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 Um, let's talk about travel, if we may, Richard. Um, you know, the real deal as opposed to virtual travel. Uh, I came across a Canadian company that was very much involved in 3D uh, holographic presentations, if you recall, Jack. And they're doing a very good job where they're pinging their CEO around the world to multiple meetings in, in a holographic form. Um, certainly during COVID that had a lot of legs to it, but COVID's over. Uh, it is time to get back to work if you're not working already, my good friends. I'm, I'm surprised, Peter, Richard, how few people uh, or how many people are still trying to uh, work from home in their gym jammies. Uh, I just think they're yeah. missing huge opportunity for rubbing shoulders with you know, but people like you, uh, people like Jack, and uh, you know, get out there and get engaged. Um, but nonetheless. Uh, Real travel, face-to-face activity versus using technology uh, as a bridge or uh, as a replacement. Where do you sit on that spectrum? Yeah, philosophically, I mean, I think, Richard. I think, yeah, look, I think it can be a you know an introduction to what you might see, but actually going there and experiencing you know whatever travel situation you have is you know much, much more engaging. So to the, to the extent you can afford it and do those things, yeah, I think that's still going to be the predominant way that people experience the world. Yeah, I would agree 100%. You talk about your senses. Well, if you visual senses, obviously you can do that with VR and AR, but yeah. smell, taste. You're a, oh, you're a food guy. Oh, well, if you want to sure. taste something VR, n- not happening. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. So if you want to experience something with your senses, you have to go and do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, live with all your senses, eh, Richard? Correct. It's remarkable. Um, final thoughts on, on the world of technology as we head into the fall, uh, things that we should uh, you know, keep our eyes and ears open for? Yeah, I mean, look, I would tell you, at least at Unity, and I'm sure this conversation happened at a bunch of different places, but 18 months ago, our board said, listen, the world has changed. Interest rates are going up. You're no longer in a world of kind of growth at any price, or we used to call that fake fake gap. <laughs> really got to you got to grow but also have free cash flow per share so what i would suggest anyone that's looking at tech companies is to listen to the management see what if they have a plan to deliver you know really free cash flow growth we used to i used to remember see these analysts would talk about ev to revs earnings you know enterprise value to revenues and i used to call that 
earnings before expenses, which is (laughs) that doesn't make any sense. So candidly, what's exciting is we're going back to the way I was taught the business, which is maximize the growth in your free cash flow per share. And so you have to grow to do that, but you have to manage your expenses at the same time. And we made a lot of hard decisions and so did a lot of other people, but look for those companies. And, and I think those will be the ones that, you know, survive because I still remember post 2000, you know, crash, there was all these zombie companies and they never made the pivot to start making money. And they just eventually kind of slipped beneath the waves and got acquired by private equity. And, you know, they're, they're like, uh, you know, Milli Vanilli. No one knows where they are. <laughs> I remember having a conversation with you years ago about Amazon uh, yeah. and the share price of Amazon. And I said, Richard, it doesn't make money. And your response to me, I don't know if you remember this, your response to me was, Wolfie, they can just flip a switch at any quarter and turn that into a profitable cash flow machine. They continue to invest for growth. Uh, and I think shortly thereafter, they did exactly what you said they could do. They flipped the switch and showed the market. We can make EPS earnings per share. Do you recall that? Do you yeah. curl that point in time? I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Richard Davis uh, with Unity Software, uh, formerly an uh, analyst with Canaccord, uh, spending some time with us this evening. Uh, you're an absolute uh, gem, my friend. Thank you for your time. And uh, we're going to take a quick break and uh, talk cannabis. Right here. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Richard. Thanks. Uh, We're talking cannabis uh, with our very own Matt Bottomley, uh, a pioneer in uh, pot. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. There's more Hi-Fi Radio in a moment on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Love it. All around in my own. man. Good old Bob. Shows Hi-Fi Radio, 640 in Toronto. I am Wolfgang Klein. I'm a money manager. Yes, I help people build wealth and then harvest it, man. Yes, you got to plant the plants and then you can harvest the plants. Takes time. A long time. A lot quicker than growing pot, I'll tell you. Uh, or, or tomatoes. Wink, wink. That's what they used to say back in the day. If you're buying some light bulbs to do an indoor grow-up. I guess a grow-up problem has been solved. That's a good, a good thing. I think crime has been solved by legalizing pot. Lots of it. Uh, interesting, interesting industry that uh, was so hot. It was smoking. It was so smoking. Eh? You, you, in, marijuana-infused beverage. Oh, stock goes up. Uh, thinking of doing another plantation. Stock goes up. Uh, and then it stopped. Uh, it went down. It went down a lot. Uh, it's been pretty cold. Matt Bottomley, uh, he's been through the uh, parte, and I guess a bit of the hangover uh, from the party of a cannabis. Uh, a huge industry uh, that was created. Um, International eyes were on Canada for quite some time. Uh you must have had a good, I should say, five years, Matt, uh, participating in uh, <laughs> a pretty wild industry. 
Yeah, to say the least, uh, you know, there's kind of the equivalent of uh, when they say dog years, right? Seven years to one. It's like that in cannabis, too, where every, you know, two or three months there can be material changes, whether it's just sentiment from investors or, or the companies themselves. But, yeah, there's any sort of number of directions we can go down in this conversation. Oh, no, for, ab- absolutely. It's just, but it is remarkable. I, I tell you, uh, I've said over and over again, I was getting so many media calls to talk about cannabis. And I said, guys, be careful. Uh, oh, there's new, a new plant going in uh, um, Kelowna. Is it, should we buy it? Is it? Come on, stop it. There's just too much product coming to market too quickly. It, it's just, it, it's, it, it's got to give at some point. Uh, I'll tell you what's interesting, Matt. Um, Consumer uh, staples, uh, which is what tobacco is, it's a staple stock. And so beer is almost considered a staple. Uh, you know, if you drink, you're going to keep drinking each and every week. It's predictable. And food is a staple because you got to eat every week. But uh, uh, staples are tricky. Uh, you get them right, you can do very well. Pepsi-Cola, take a look at a 30-year chart performance of that company. Mm-hmm. Absolutely remarkable. Clean as a whistle. I wish I mm-hmm. owned that. McDonald's. Similar situation. Campbell's Soup, not so much. Uh, Kellogg, not so good. Um, Hershey was a darling until I bought it. Then it started to melt a little bit on me. Uh, not of the woods yet, but you know, it's not dire. It's a great company. Um, but then in preparing for this uh, conversation with you, Matt, I did, just for fun, uh, I pulled up the stock of or the chart of Budweiser. Uh, Diageo is a company I'm paying attention to, and I just came back from a Guinness tour. Uh, Diageo stock's been down lately. Uh, not bad longer term. But Budweiser, 10 years, dead money. Uh, So it's not so easy uh, to play in the space of staples. And uh, I don't know, as recreational and medicinal as as cannabis is, in many ways it is for many people, I think many consumers, a staple. Um, Where where are we at uh, in Canada in terms of the investable arena for cannabis, is is is, is the dog going to bark again? And then I think equally important, uh, we up here in Canada have been waiting for America to legalize. That's going to be the next leg when America goes green, so to speak. So uh, please speak to that. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a number of different uh, considerations when when you're looking at the cannabis opportunity. It, it, in my view, too, it, it's a staple, but it's also um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a point of time now where there's still a healthy illicit market, right? So it's not really the same with a, with a Budweiser and some others where those that want to invest in it uh, can in terms of institutional capital, whereas in, in the Canadian context, it's not always the case. Um, but I think where we are is still very early, and it's not really so much to do with cannabis specifically. It's just with how conservative in my view, the Canadian government has regulated this. When you compare it to, you know, the more recent um, online gambling and sports betting that happened a couple, maybe a year or so ago in Canada, there's already advertisements on every TV station and you see billboards and, you know, there's a lot of... Um, yeah, I don't like it, market. by the way. I don't, as, as, as a father of right. youth, I don't like it. Uh, but, yeah. But the main point being is like, that's already already out of the gate when it comes to what companies can potentially do. Yes, there's a lot of licensing and a lot of... Um, uh, moats that are built around where you know who can own uh, these platforms. But with cannabis perspective, it's still in the legal environment, kind of regular like it's an illicit substance. You have stores that are blacked out windows. You have um, packaging that looks like there's some sort of um, you know biohazard material in it. If you kind of look at the logos they use, and then you have the Canadian government that basically has put a flat tax, one dollar per uh, per gram excise tax. The price of that gram in the wholesale market has probably come down seventy percent since legalization. The taxation has not gone down at all. So you have companies that are, you know, really struggling to, to, to reach profitability while you still have thousands of licenses that have been given out by the government. So I think 
the next big leg in this sector, whether it's next year or two years or three years, is going to have to be some sort of reform at the federal level that allows those that want to compete to do it in some sort of, um, you know, facet where the yeah, economic... I, I, it's odd. I, I, it truly is odd. It, it seems so dirty the way the way it, it's been executed. The LCBO is the Ontario Bank. I repeat, the LCBO is the Bank of Ontario. Uh, need I, I needn't say more than just take a look at the building they built. It looks like a bank tower. It's a big, tall glass building of about 50 stories. It generates Cash, lots of cash. Uh, I'm surprised they didn't follow the same format as they did with the LCBO. I'm totally, totally shocked. Uh, why do you believe they didn't embrace it the way they did booze? Because they're the world's largest alcoholic agent. Uh, why mm-hmm. couldn't they have been the world's largest cannabis agent? Yeah, it's something that went back and forth uh, when 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 there were those elections just before the uh the fall of 2018, and and there was an LCBO model that was considered uh, originally, but it was pivoted to do more like uh, it's regulated in alcohol in the west coast of Canada, where we're going to initially have a a lottery, and then it's going to be sole proprietors and small businesses that kind of prop it up. And the issue with the Canadian, uh, in the Canadian context is that it's very bifurcated with respect to what you're allowed to do. If you are a retailer in Canada, you can't be a grower, right? So you're really relying on the government to be that wholesaler. So the government has its fingers in the pie all over the place when it comes to what they're doing in this sector. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was done from a context of them um, trying to necessarily make it hard for these companies. I think there was just a lot of fear that because they're the first major country to legalize cannabis federally, they're just ultra conservative with what they allowed people to do, trying to walk before they run. And it turns out they sort of stumbled over before they ran. Uh, Matt Bottomley is spending some time with us. He's the king of cannabis. Uh, he's been an analyst uh, a decade now and uh, very, very uh shall I say, tied to the cannabis space. Uh, he's seen uh, the boom. He's witnessing the bust. And, uh, well, there is apparently light at the end of the tunnel. We're going to take a quick break. Get right back to Matt Bottomley, Hi-Fi Radio, 640 Toronto. Want to make more money? Stay tuned for more Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. It is Hi-Fi Radio, show about money. Little high fidelity always weaved in because music makes it taste better. Eh? I love music. Indeed, uh, I remain mentally in Europe. I love European travel. I am going to do more European travel. I just can't get enough of it. Uh, it's, it's amazing when you do travel and uh, you ask about the local laws. They are different. Uh, for example, I'm in Munich and uh, we hired a driver for a day to take us sightseeing. And uh, he said, all right, I got some buns for you. I got some sandwiches for you. We got chocolate for you. We got gummy bears. We got champagne and we got some beer. Would you like a beer? And I said, we're just about to get into your car. Yeah, no problem. You want a beer? Passengers can drink in 
vehicles. Drivers obviously can't. If any alcohol found on you and there's a car accident, you are 100% responsible for any alcohol. But the passenger, as much as you want. Remarkable, they have no bathroom on that uh, vehicle. Uh, <laughs> but it was also interesting, in Munich, I saw a, a CBD stand, very prominent. Stand selling all kinds of uh, lotions and potions, uh, CBD uh, derivative products. Um, so I just started chatting with him about the uh, marijuana legalization process in uh, Germany. So we're certainly fighting for it. But again, very weird laws in Germany. In Munich, highly conservative. You can drink at 16. You can be a passenger in a vehicle and drink. Um, that's okay. You can walk down the street and drink. But uh, no, they frown upon cannabis use. Um, for medicinal purposes, I think they're open-minded. For CBD purposes, they're okay with it. Um, but to get high, no, it's not really what they do in Munich. Up in Berlin, go north in the country. Completely different. Uh, if you get uh, found with some possession of a small amount of marijuana, they're not going to have any issue with you whatsoever. Uh, so it's very, very provincially uh, managed and uh, monitored. Uh, nuances are around the world. I remember when we used to have, what was his name, the president of um, Canopy on the air, Bruce Lenton. Bruce Lenton. Uh, and he always said that the system... Uh, for uh, managing cannabis in uh, the Netherlands, specifically Amsterdam, was completely backwards, uh, whereby the stuff came into the country illegally and then it was legally sold. Um, we need framework, uh, Matt, to make this thing ultimately work, some kind of global framework. Eh? It's, it's all over the place as to how it is being distributed and not distributed. Matt? Mm-hmm. You know, I always found it funny when the Canadian uh, sector launched in the, the end of 2018, when they basically said, okay, it's going to be legal as of, I think, October 15th, something like that. And you have six months prior to get your genetics. Well, it's like, where do you get those genetics? <laughs> right? It's almost like a blind eye. There's no market. So it's kind of like, you know, turn a blind eye, have your genetics, and then we'll we'll, we'll go on. But yeah, like there's, there's no near-term... Um, uh, uh, you know, po- probability or possibility of of, of, a, of a global sort of, uh, you know, regulated market. I think it's going to be, um, you know, like the U.S. state by state, it's going to be country by country, medical first, probably. Um, and, you know, Canada had a, a good opportunity to, to, to be a leader in the space from a regulatory standpoint. I still think it's not a complete failure. This is a $5 billion market in terms of consumer spend. It's just where those dollars get allocated. Five billion, eh? Uh, is it, top line. Yeah, in terms of consumer spend, every we're run ready. At that, sorry, billion. at the legal level, the the the, yeah. uh, the 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 non-black market, five billion. Yeah, five billion today. And so, so probably another five in the in the black market still. You figure half? Yeah, maybe three three to four in the, in, in the illicit market. And the problem is of that five wow. billion, probably. If I had to guess, two and a half to three goes back to the government, right? So, and the rest is all just. So, uh, so out of five billion, how much does the government take? And do you think they're probably getting between forty and fifty percent if you include excise yeah. tax, the fact that they still charge HST, and the fact that um, on top of all of that, they're getting the corporate taxes and the at the end of it. So, if you kind of add up all the elements of it, you know, they're they're almost a fifty percent share of, of of the market, which is not making it economically feasible for many of the players. So Matt, what I don't understand is if the government's taking so much and then you've got an illicit market that's, I'm going to say half the market, they can cut their price to 70% of what it was. How can Mm -hmm. you have a profitable business? We talked about uh, brands. So Wolfgang, Pepsi, uh, Hershey, McDonald's, Mm -hmm. obviously these are exceptionally strong brands. How do you take this commodity business with the government, you know, their hand in the cookie jar and make it profitable? Yeah, I think so. The, the taxation we talked about is one of it. It doesn't make sense that the tax was um, dictated from day one at a specific dollar. It's not a percentage. It's a, it's a dollar per 
per gram, um, so it <laughs> oh. doesn't really move with the pricing. And the other thing is, I think in the in the in the interim, uh, without the help from the government changing any regulations, what companies are doing is they're doing their best to pivot to more um, packaged goods, right? So instead of just selling dry flour that's commoditized, that's low quality or low potency, people are trying to make, or companies rather, are trying to make edibles and gummies and, you know, certain types of technologies um, in terms of the overall experience of using the product that will be novel to to, to those uh, skew items. So it's a hard thing to do when you can't advertise it. But some of the better companies, um, in my opinion, in the Canadian context, are those that don't waste too much time on trying to just grow the plant. They're trying to formulate new products. And I think that's all you can really do in the, in the meantime. Oh, if you have a good uh, team of chemists, uh, you can, I think you can certainly concoct some interesting uh, byproducts uh, from this uh, miraculous weed, so to speak. Speaking of weed, uh, Canopy Growth, uh, they were the uh, poster child uh, for cannabis. Uh, weed is the symbol, uh, still trades on Toronto. Constellation Brands has a big stake in it. Um how, in terms of market share, uh, what, what kind of market share does Canopy command today? Uh, is it making money uh, and uh, its prospects on a go-forward basis? Yeah, so Canopy Growth has a lot of different initiatives going on right now outside of just growing cannabis. Some of them good, some of them not great when it comes to their, their capital structure. Really what Canopy is, probably only 20% or, or less of the company is selling cannabis in Canada, right? They have BioSteel, which is a sports hydration drink. They have something called uh, Stores and Bickle, which is ex- online accessories. So it doesn't actually touch cannabis, but it's accessories that are used for it. Um, so you, you, other- wait, sorry, remember back up. Accessory, you, you mean like a head shop? Like they, it's an online platform, but yes, like a vaporizer or a, a bong, things like that. Oh. Um, so they have a big platform for that. If you look at their market share in Canada, I don't have it in front of me, but it's probably around three to 5% on the high end. Um, if you look at Tilray brands, they're probably the leader at, 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 you know, 15% or maybe slightly under that. So right now the, the priority for Canopy isn't trying to, you know, gain share in Canada. If they can do it, great. It's that they have a lot of debt maturities coming up as part of some prior year financings and they're still burning cash you know, oh. well in excess of $100 million a quarter. So there's going to be some asset dispositions. There already has. There's oh. going to be some, probably some conversion of debt into equity. So there's a lot of investors that are staying away from that name because they don't know ultimately how much they're going to get diluted as the company continues to try and pivot around what is unfortunately a very high balance sheet overhang. Well, it's going to be very fascinating uh, to see how this uh, canopy, or excuse me, a cannabis industry does play out. But ultimately, uh, at some point, uh, it will be in the hands of a few players. It always works that way. But right now, there is a lot of uh, incumbents, uh, so to speak, and participants uh, in the space. And, uh, well, uh, with interest rates rising and thicker balance sheets uh, to deal with, uh, that makes for... uh, opportunistic opportunities for certain companies who have dough and problematic situation for those who don't. On that note, I want to say thank you to Matt Bottomley, our uh, cannabis analyst at Canaccord Genuity, Jack Hartle, of course, uh, partner at the Wolf on Bay Street. Any questions for Jack or I, anything to do with money, you give us a call. Uh, We're here for you. You can Google us at WolfgangKlein.com. The most important thing, my friends, is to get a job, work, save, invest, repeat for at least 25 years. Five bucks a day invested in the stock market for 40 years turns out to $400,000, something a homeless person can do. If you save a thousand bucks a month for 40 years, 9%, you're at a 4.8 million. That's what I want you to do. 
Call me. I can help. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any questions about money, email wolfandjack at wolfgangkline.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. Join us again next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.